Let Them Lead is a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today. Your host is John Bacon, author of the book, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, which led to this podcast. On Let Them Lead, John talks to remarkable leaders from every field imaginable. Automotive, computers, food service, media, education, and athletics, just to name a few. And they share their hard-won wisdom, amazing stories, and a few laughs. You'll also learn a few things you can use tomorrow, and things you can think about the rest of your life. John always finishes with three takeaways and a discussion of their favorite teacher. In the words of John's fifth grade teacher, Mr. Puddock, it's fast, it's fun, and we get it done. So please join us for an entertaining and inspiring discussion. You'll be glad you did. You can subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please feel free to leave your comments about any and all of the podcast episodes. And by all means, spread the word. That's how the word gets spread. And now here's our latest episode of Let Them Lead, presented by your host, John U. Bacon. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Let Them Lead, a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today. I'm John U. Bacon, the host of Let Them Lead and the author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. And as you know, I'm not making that up. Book is doing great. Been on Good Morning America, New York Times, and elsewhere. You can find out all that on LetThemLeadByBacon.com. But today, another special guest, uh, my good buddy, Scott Drew, the former dean of the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, one of the top 10 perennially. That's how I met him. But now he's the president of Equinox, uh, which is a heck of a thing, the global leader in luxury, fitness, and high-performance living. Uh, In that role, Scott is in charge of 106 Equinox fitness clubs, Equinox Media's digital products, studio content, and and distribution platforms, not to mention 10,000 professionals who are dedicated to helping people maximize their potential in life. Not a small list, my friend, and a few things to talk about. First thing is, how did you get to Michigan? You're from North Carolina. Tell us the, that pathway. Well, John, it's uh, I'm super excited to join join you and welcome, uh, uh, or congratulations rather on the uh, on the book success. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, loved every page. Uh, so uh, I'm really delighted to spend some time with you. So you know, my background, how I got to uh, to Michigan. I, I grew up in a really small town in North Carolina. Uh, Wahlberg, North Carolina. Uh, we had a stoplight, maybe two, uh, and a community of 12, 1,300 people, close knit, uh, really family oriented farming community and, and the like. And for me, the opportunity to attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill changed my life. Um, through education, I had my eyes open to people, to cultures, to ideas that I never knew existed uh, growing up uh, in, in that small town. And from there, uh, I had the opportunity to move to Boston, uh, started my career in business, uh, fell in love with the positive impact that business can have on people around the world, uh, and then decided that my personal mission in life was to inspire and enable people to have that same transformational experience that I had through education at the time. Uh, and that led me to want to marry education and a love for education with a love for business. And if you put those two things together, the only thing in life you want to be, John, is a business is a business school professor. <laughs> it does kind of narrow it down, no question about it. That is the apogee of that uh, combination, naturally. So um, what gave you the confidence in the small town to believe you can you know, get your PhD at Michigan State, um, end up being the Michigan dean, 
It's a small town boy who has clearly done good. Who are your influences along the way, and how did you manage to generate that confidence? Well, my my parents uh, and my grandparents first and foremost. Um, I grew up really close uh, with my grandparents and my mom and dad, and uh, my grandfather um, was one of the very few people in our family to uh, to you know, really go to college. He went to University of North Carolina. Uh, thus, I pretty much only applied to the University of North Carolina. Unfortunately, they let me in. That's a great school too, of course. Doesn't hurt. So. Yeah, but my 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 grandmother, my grandfather, uh, my mom and dad uh, always told me that there were no limits on what I could do in life as long as I worked hard, uh, treated people right, and really with focus went after my goals. Uh, then there were no limits, and and I really give them all the credit uh, because they they have been and continue to be supportive. I love that. One of the rules in Let Them Lead, as you recall, is. Never tell anybody what they can't do, even if you don't think they can. There's no point in saying it, unless that is, you know, jumping off a cliff without a parachute, bad idea. But uh, short of that, don't tell anybody what they can't do. And no one told you growing up what you couldn't do, so you didn't believe it, and it worked. So you get to the University of Michigan, of course, you are the Wonderkin Dean at Ross. Um, I think you're like 38 years old when you became the Dean at Ross. Yeah, 30, 39, yes. 39, yeah. and looked about 19. As I recall, (laughs) (laughs) people tell me that I'm going to appreciate that at some point in life, but I'm still waiting. Uh, All I can say about that is stick around. You will. So at 57, I would have happily taken that problem. So 39 years old, what was the good news about becoming a dean, being that young? And what were the challenges being a young leader like that presented? I I loved every minute of academia and, and, you know, having the opportunity to be the dean at the Michigan Raw School of Business was easily one of the greatest privileges of my life. I was very fortunate to have colleagues, team members, the entire Ross community believed in me, gave me a chance, uh, and I'll forever be honored and humbled by that opportunity. You know, the challenges uh, from a leadership perspective, I grew up there. That was my first academic job. And so I started as an assistant professor and nine years later woke up as dean. That would not have happened had it not been for such a supportive, empowering community uh, within the Ross School. Folks like you know, my colleague, Sue Ashford, uh, who I did a lot of work with teaching research. Uh, I think you know Sue. She is just tremendous at developing talent. She really believed in me, really invested in me, and was a great partner. Colleagues like Maxim Sitch, who I taught with for years, uh, really pushed me to think cr- uh, creatively and critically and and, and really became you know, a confidant and, and a partner. And so the community at the Ross School and the University of Michigan broadly uh, was just a tremendous platform, tremendous opportunity, so supportive. And I'll forever be grateful for that opportunity. Got to love that. One of your great lines in Let Them Lead, quoted in there, of course, is when you're the dean of the Michigan Business School, you have to lead as though you have no power because you have no power. I love that one. (laughs) I know what that means, but why don't you go ahead and spell that out for me? Well, in academia, there's certain nuances uh, that make that ever more true. But I think it's a it's a it's a leadership principle that I think applies no matter what context you're in. Could be a high school hockey team, could be you know the dean of a business school or in a university setting or a business like I'm in today. The higher you go up the the food chain or the organizational chart, in my view, the less power you have. 
have. And what I mean by that, and that, that'll seem counterintuitive to a lot of people because in many ways you do have more power because you have more control over resources and things of that sort. But as you move up in the organization, a lot of the work actually happens down in the organization and you get further away from where the work is, where the value is created. And so you have to lead as if you have no power because you actually don't control what's going on day to day in most of the work. And so it's not about control or power. It's about leadership and building culture and developing people and talent because you're leading through these people, not managing every aspect of everything that's going on. And so for me, it's always been a mindset that I have to lead as if I have no power because I really don't. And if I embrace that, then I'm really focused on people and culture and building a winning organization that can thrive. And to me, the greatest testament to exceptional leadership is when your team, your organization is successful and that team, that organization believes that they are the reason it is successful. And that to me is about leading with, with no power. By the way, that is brilliant. You first told me that a few years ago over lunch. We've had a few lunches over the years. And I went, well, that's a funny thing to say for a dean. And then I realized, no, that's genius is what that is. And when I was coaching, we had a line. On game nights, guess what? The coaches wear shoes. Whatever happens tonight will be for the guys who are in skates. We can't make any passes, any shots, any block shots. We can't hit anybody, any saves, et cetera. It's all you guys. And once you realize that, like you said, at first you realize, wow, that's very scary and almost disorienting. And then you realize, no, this is liberating. And if you're smart, it is a great insight into what happens next. If you're the conductor of an orchestra, hey, that's great. You got the fancy tuxedo on, you got the baton, your back is to the audience, they're all facing you, of course. And then you raise your baton and then you hope like hell they play. Because guess what? Baton makes no sound. Whatever happens that night is up to the guys with the instruments. You understood that, I think, uh, in your bones at Michigan and being there for nine years beforehand probably helped. You were one of the guys they're trying to lead, of course. So you ultimately really can't make anyone do anything outside of the military, perhaps, not these days. So the crucial thing is, is how can I get you to want to do things that help the organization? And at that, of course, you've been a master. You raised over $200 million for strategic initiatives at U of M, raised annual revenue by 27%. That is, I don't care if you're General Motors or what, that is amazing. Achieved new records for diversity and increased research productivity by 18%. That's an incredible track record during your time at Michigan. What are you most proud of when you look back? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, but all the credit goes to that community of scholars, academics, students. What I'm most proud of is the community that we built. You know, the University of Michigan has been around for over 200 years. The business school will soon celebrate its 100th birthday in 2024. And the history, the tradition, the longstanding commitment to excellence at the university and, and the Raw School of Business. You know, I was fortunate to grow up in that community and, and be a part of it. But the thing that I'm most proud of in my 14 years at the University of Michigan and, and five in serving as dean is the community that we built, uh, the team that we built, the culture that we were able to create, because that's what's going to last the test of time. 
And one of the things that I've always just really admired, respected, and, and cherished about the university is how strong that community is globally, right? It's the largest alumni network in the world. And at least in my experience, traveling the world and, and seeing all different types of organizations, universities, and beyond, uh, it's one of the closest and tightly connected communities that I've ever been a part of. And that's why I'm just so grateful uh, for the opportunity to have been part of it. And even though I've left, I, I still to this day uh, continue to, uh, to be a fan and to be a part of that community. Well, you always will be, of course. You know well, of course, the Michigan Mafia, <laughs> of which you are now a part. Uh, well known in New York, and of course, your current boss is Stephen Ross, one of the most prominent uh, Michigan alumni, of course. Um, tell us a bit about him and tell us a bit about Equinox itself. Well, Stephen Ross has been uh, a friend, a mentor, and a real champion for me, but even more for communities around the world and certainly the University of Michigan, as you well know. He serves on the Equinox uh, board, uh, which I had the privilege of serving on the board for a number of years before joining the company, and has been a great supporter of, of Equinox now for a number of years as we have uh, really grown the organization globally. The chairman of the company, Harvey Spivak, who you may also know, is also a Michigan alum and my, my direct boss, if you will. Harvey uh, is the chairman of Equinox Group, which is Equinox, SoulCycle. Uh, we have a company called Blink. Uh, we have the Equinox Hotel. And Harvey's a, a fascinating individual, much like Steve. Uh, Harvey's been one of the uh, probably most creative visionaries in the health, wellness, and fitness space that I can think of and joined Equinox when it was maybe, it was back in 1999. There were a handful of clubs here in New York City only. And from the time Harvey took over till now, we are now the global brand and the global authority for, for luxury fitness and, and high-performance living. And so between the work that Stephen Ross has done in investing in and, and really, you know, giving the, the company the resources it needs to fuel its growth with the vision and leadership that Harvey has brought to the organization over now many years, that pair uh, between Stephen and, and Harvey has enabled Equinox really to become what it's become today. So you're already on the board for several years before you became, of course, the president. What were your greatest skills, assets, insights from Michigan that you brought to Equinox? And secondly, how did you leave academia damn near at the top of it? Your name was already circulating quite a lot as a future president of Michigan, perhaps, or another high-end school. And of course, it still will be, I think, for the rest of your life. But uh, how did you leave academia and what did you leave with? Well, I, I loved every minute of academia. Today, I'm 44, getting ready to go on 45 years old. I got a long runway ahead of me. You know, who knows? The, the world turns, as you know, John, in mysterious ways. You know, I may find many years down the road that I'm back in academia in, in some way, uh, shape, or form. The power of education to transform people's lives is something that is the reason I got into education, and it's the reason that I will continue to be a part of, of education in some way throughout the rest of my life. So for me, it wasn't about leaving academia as much as it was about joining the future of Equinox and through health and wellness and fitness, having the opportunity to also transform people's lives and empower uh, them to really realize and, and, um, and maximize their potential in life. So we were doing that through education. 
Now we're doing that through health, wellness, and fitness. And that for me is my personal mission, helping people maximize their potential in life. What did I bring to Equinox? I've had a number of conversations with people recently where it's like, well, how did you go from education to, to you know, business and, and, and Equinox, health and fitness and the like? And you know, what I tell everybody is, you know, look, leadership at the end of the day is about people. It's about culture. It's about having a clear and compelling vision that will inspire people. And that doesn't matter whether you're in education, whether you're in real estate or uh, social work, or you know, if you're a doctor, or if you are the president of Equinox. At the end of the day, people want to be inspired and it's about building teams that can achieve shared goals. And education taught me in many ways how to do that. And I've taken those same principles and tried to apply them here at Equinox. Really proud of the team and what we're building. I love that, of course. And you're right about leadership. It's, uh, as I often say, it's simple, but don't confuse that with easy. It's simple. It's people, culture, and vision, as you said. Uh, making all that work, of course, is not so easy. But taking that approach that you're improving lives in the libraries of University of Michigan, and now you're doing that in the fancy gyms of Equinox, not a bad approach there, of course. So now, naturally, your timing was uh, propitious. Here you go into a into the fitness world at about the perfectly wrong time. Tell us about that and tell us how you've uh, met that challenge. Well, you know, no one in uh, March of 2020 uh, predicted a global pandemic that would still be with us nearly two years later. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, we now have vaccines that are proven effective. Uh, you know, we're starting to see, I think, the other side of uh, this pandemic. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, um, it's had uh, a major impact on families and lives around the world. Um, and um, uh, it, it's been something that I think we've all struggled with over the last couple of years. For me, in terms of joining Equinox at a time where, you know, one could argue the health and fitness space is the hardest hit of any industry, any sector uh, that one could imagine as a result of, of the pandemic. Um, it, you know, we had clubs in uh, California and Canada that were closed. John shut down entirely for over a year. Wow. Right? And, and so you're absolutely right. I joined Equinox as president at one of the most difficult moments in the company's 30-year history. No doubt about it. But for me, I've always had this belief that you should run to the fire, not away from it. <laughs> and I love it. In doing so, you can find ways to have a positive impact and in serving on the board of Equinox for a number of years now, where I saw it as one of the fastest growing companies uh, in the world, I mean, we are still the largest tenant in New York City in terms of square footage for any retailer, right? Wow. Yeah. Really? So all the Dwayne Reeds and all that that I've seen in Starbucks, uh, plenty of those, you guys are the largest uh, square footage tenant in New York City. That says a lot. For re retail tenants in Manhattan, we're the largest in terms of square footage. 
uh, and our presence on the West Coast in California, uh, throughout uh, the major urban areas within the United States, Vancouver, Toronto and Canada, the UK. Um, I mean, just a high growth company. And I got to see that growth when I was on the board. And then obviously the pandemic um, came and changed everyone's way of life. And certainly for Equinox uh, had a big impact. And as I served on the board, I fell in love with the brand. I fell in love with the team. I fell in love with the organization. I fell in love with the sense of mission and purpose that drives this organization every single day. And John, I just wanted to be part of rebuilding and rebounding. I wanted to run to the fire and find any way possible that I could bring uh, something to the table that would help us rebound, rebuild, and and grow this company because I believe in the organization deeply. And so I just want to be part of it. I love that. I love the phrase, run to the fire, not away from it. You came in eyes wide open, obviously. You know what was going on. The timing was there. Um, it is what it is, of course. So what you've got to do now is rally the troops as well as your clients um, to keep things going. And how are you doing that? What are you focusing on to get through this tough time? Our team um, around the world has just been remarkable. Uh, I mean, think about working in an organization where you're literally closed in some markets for over a year, right? And I really am proud of Equinox and how we stepped up and and supported our employees at a time when it was the company's most difficult, but also their most difficult moments uh, in life. And, and we were able to retain an overwhelming majority uh, of our talent around the world. And given how hard hit uh, the organization and the industry was during the heights of the pandemic, that says a lot about the support that Equinox provided. And our employees know that, they, they, they appreciate it. And now that we've been able to reopen and we're coming back strong, um, they are more inspired, more motivated uh, than they ever have been before uh, because they too want to see Equinox thrive and continue to grow and be a part of this story. And so we're, we're really leaning in with our employees, making sure they feel supported and making sure they feel part of something bigger than any one of us as individuals. On the member side, um, you know, so we have hundreds of thousands of, of members around the world. And um, for our members, we not only want to continue providing the highest of luxury upscale experience, not only of anyone in the fitness or health environment, but of any type of consumer-facing brand and organization around the world. The Equinox experience is unparalleled. Uh, and so our focus is about continuing to elevate that unparalleled experience. Uh, and then second is we wanted to make sure that in the heights of a pandemic that everyone in our community feels safe and that we are doing everything uh, possible to keep them safe. So, for example, in August, um, we became the largest consumer-facing brand to require vaccines of all employees and all of our members' customers. And we are still the largest consumer-facing brand in the world 
to require vaccines of all employees and all customers. And that is a testament to the courage and the commitment that Equinox has to our community. I love that, by the way. And that's also a bold and potentially scary move. When you read the reports, which are often, by the way, the media has done a horrible job on this. When they keep on reporting that uh, if they have a vaccine mandate, 30% say they're going to walk off, but actually 0.3% actually do. So it's often saber rattling on the part of some, which does not result in people actually leaving the job. But part of that there is the trust that they have to have in you, both the employees as well as the clients, of course. And that has worked out for you guys amazingly well, hasn't it? It has. It has. I mean, on the employee side, our employees got behind it, really supported it. Uh, and we saw, uh, just like uh, what you just described, extraordinarily strong uh, commitment uh, to living up to the ideals and the values that this move represented for Equinox. It actually became a source of pride hmm. uh, for, the, for the Equinox uh, employee base. And, and that was really inspiring to see. And same for our members, right? Our members saw it once again, Equinox doing something that no one else would do and doing it consistent with our values, with our ideals, which is about putting our member first. And so both from an employee perspective and a member perspective, it has been an extraordinarily positive outcome. Uh, and the business results um, are, are true to that as well. Uh, we actually saw uh, improvements in all of our business you know, related metrics and uh, and results as a result of the courage and commitment we had to both our employees and our members. That is fascinating. I recall years ago that uh, when California was the first state, I believe, to pass no smoking laws in bars and restaurants, and bars and restaurants were terrified they would lose a lot of their business. And in fact, the exact opposite happened. Business increased because a lot of folks like me would be happy to go out more often, but we don't want to get smoked on. When I was in college, I didn't care, I don't think, because it was normal back then, quote unquote. We had no smoking sections on planes. I don't know how that works. But in your case, of course, by being, I believe, the first fitness center, correct, to have this rule, um, you separated. That's right. That's exactly right. And so once again, you know, we often talk about Equinox. We're not just in the fitness business. We are a luxury lifestyle business, uh, right? I mean, we, we have right now New York City's number one rated luxury hotel is the Equinox Hotel. Right. We we've got our fashion. Uh, certainly we fitness is at our core. But if you take our retail, our fashion, our regeneration and spa businesses, our hotel um, uh, business as a leader and the global authority and the high performance lifestyle um, to us, this was just the right thing to do because it spoke to the type of experience and, and value that we're trying to create for our community uh, and uh, is just another testament to Equinox being willing and able to do something that no one else would do. That is fantastic because if you're looking at it strictly as you know profit and loss and so on, it's a tough call. You can't quite predict what's going to happen. If you are a principle-based organization, your decisions get a lot easier. If your principle is well-being, of your employees and your clients, of course, then it becomes a lot simpler, doesn't it? So that obviously became your northern light, uh, and that's well done there. So I know you're a busy man. I can't keep you forever. So I will uh, ask you our last question, and that is, who was your favorite teacher? Ooh, what a great question. My favorite teacher, 
Now, I run the risk here of uh, of having some teachers that uh, <laughs> uh, that uh, may not like my answer. But you, you um, can apologize later. I promise. Yeah. Right. Right. My favorite teacher is and continues to be my grad school advisor, John Hollenbeck. Hmm. John is at Michigan State University, uh, has spent um, uh, his entire academic career um, at, uh, at Michigan State. And he saw something in me that I didn't even, I didn't see. And recruited me to Michigan State for graduate school. Uh, and invested in in me in ways over you know the course of four years of my of my doctorate and my PhD program um, that I will forever be grateful for. Uh, and John, what's what's been the most rewarding is our relationship um, after uh, my time at Michigan State. Uh, he continues to be a mentor, continues to be a friend. Um, our families vacation together. Um, I know and, and love his kids. Uh, he knows and loves our, uh, our dogs. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, it, it's just a relationship that has transcended, um, any moment. Hmm. Um, but he, he's been an amazing educator and mentor to me now over many years. Uh, and so I would, I would have to say, John. It is wonderful that you've stayed in touch and become part of each other's families, as you point out. Uh, my guess is that uh, Professor Hollenbach was not easy. Is that correct? Uh, no. Uh, the, the, the best teachers aren't easy teachers. Uh, what, they, what they are are people that see potential and then give you the support, the resources, the inspiration to realize that potential in yourself and to maximize that potential. And, you know, here again, education for me has been one of, um, it, with, in, you know, instructors, teachers, mentors like John and many others um, has been that for me. Um, and, you know, same thing here at Equinox, uh, just through health, fitness and wellness, uh, being able to help people transform their lives by discovering this potential that maybe they didn't even know they had. And then being given the tools, the support, the inspiration to go maximize that potential. Uh, no teachers, no great teacher is easy. Great teachers see potential and then enable you to realize it. You're the only one, I've asked that question more than 100 times in North and South America, Santiago, Sao Paulo, Vancouver, you name it. You're the only one to take that approach. Although I guess being a dean, it kind of makes sense that you see it from the 360 perspective. That, uh, that that's what they're supposed to do, of course, challenge you and care about you. And obviously, Professor Hallenbach cares about you quite a bit. You've got a protege coming up, one of my former protégés, Ross Gimble, here on Hockey Player in Let Them Lead. Um, he was a star on our team, grew up a lot uh, in his time on the team, ended up being captain at Tufts University, uh, which impressed me more than his being MVP. He learned to be a fantastic leader. And leadership, of course, can be developed, and in Ross, it certainly was. So, He'll be coming up behind you very soon. So I'm summing up here. The three takeaways that I'm taking away, at least, from Scott Drew, former dean of the Ross Business School at the University of Michigan, and, of course, now the president of Equinox. Um, one, your parents. Don't uh, ever tell your protégés what they can't do. No limits to what you can do. That's the gift they gave you, is never telling you what you couldn't do, of course. Number two, lead as though you have no power. 
because guess what? You really have no power. And the interesting insight this time I got from you, the higher you go on the food chain, the more true that becomes, that their cooperation becomes more and more voluntary, if you will. A great line from John Cooper, a hero of mine, used to coach high school hockey as well in the state of Michigan when I was, and now he's the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning with two Stanley Cups. So I guess, Scott, our careers have diverged somewhat. But uh, <laughs> his great line is, bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, coaches lead or leaders lead or uh, division heads, of course, or deans or whatnot. But great teams, everybody leads. And that's exactly the culture you're trying to describe, you were describing earlier about Equinox. And the third point I'm taking away is uh, run to the fire, not away from it. The fire is there anyway. Might as well run into it and see what you can do. You're doing that now and doing a phenomenal job. So, Scott, it has been a delight to have you on our show. Uh, the podcast, of course, Let Them Lead. And thanks for your time. John, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You got it. And stay tuned for Equinox. The website, of course, is, equi is equinox.com, correct? Yes. All right. Check it out. You can see more about Scott Drew there. And these gleaming studio gyms, by the way, they are architectural masterpieces. They look gorgeous, of course, and they've got uh, absolute high-end stuff. Anything else you can say about Equinox before we... Uh, jump off here. It's Equinox is uh, an organization that has a history of innovation and ingenuity in seeing the future and bringing that future to life um, before anyone else could ever imagine it. And, um, you know, once we get uh, on the other side of this global pandemic, the vision that we have for bringing luxury uh, high, the, high the, the luxury high-performance lifestyle to people around the world, whether it's in our clubs, whether it's in your homes, uh, whether it's even in the metaverse, as we like to call it today, um, the future uh, is very, very bright, and I can't wait to see what we create. Well, that's fantastic. That is Scott Drew, the president of Equinox, uh, the fanciest gyms in the world. You heard it right there. And I'm John Ubacon, the host of Let Them Lead, a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today, and the author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, which has Scott Daru and Equinox in it. So check it out. Scott, again, thanks so much, and stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Let Them Lead, a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today with your host, John U. Bacon, author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. We hope you enjoyed this episode, got a few laughs, and picked up some insights you can use tomorrow and think about for years. Please feel free to leave your comments about any and all of the podcast episodes, and by all means, spread the word. Please join us again for another fun, fast, and fulfilling serving of Let Them Lead.